and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Connor Meekin is an ultra marathon runner and founder of Bluebird Provisions. Connor's 2014 ultra marathon season was meant to be a banner year of running. After enjoying early success, winning races, and feeling amazing in the process, Connor was motivated to want more and push even harder. Things completely derailed soon after he got blasted with the bitter truth that none of us are invincible. Injuries and other health issues threw his life completely off track starting in August of 2014. A disfigured foot, a mangled endocrine system, and a severely shaken psyche left him unsure how to proceed. After trying the standard rehab approach, but never getting any real results or answers, he finally gave up on the idea of running and focused his energy on fixing his body as a whole. This meant delving into a more functional, medicine-based approach to rehab, investigating and treating the root cause of an issue, not the symptoms. After healing, he began Bluebird Provisions as a way to share what he's learned with others. You can find Bluebird Provisions at www.bluebirdprovisions.co. Connor Meekin, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks, Casey. I'm happy to be there. That was that was quite the intro. We'll see if I can live up to it. <laughs> I, I certainly think that you will. Um, I definitely want to talk about your story, which hopefully I didn't tell too much of in the introduction. Um, you're up in Canada, which means you definitely love hockey, but you played not just, I don't know if you played ice hockey, but you played field hockey. Is that correct? I did. Yeah. It's uh, definitely a niche sport here in North America. So yeah, just to back up a bit, growing up, I played you know every sport under the sun. I was kind of that guy that was pretty much, you know, l- luckily I was pretty good at everything. Um, but, uh, you know, not certainly not good enough to be, you know, elite at any other sport field hockey being a niche sport as it is in Canada and the U S it gives you an opportunity to really excel at a high level in Canada where the pool of talent is certainly not as deep as it would be in ice hockey or basketball or soccer or something like that. So I was a great athlete. Um, played it in high school and, and, and was really good at it and, and eventually got identified by the Canadian men's under 21 team. And then from there ended up playing in, um, junior world cup qualifiers and then world cup qualifiers. And then eventually I got called up to the senior men's national field hockey team around 2010. And our whole two-year process there was trying to qualify for the London Olympics in 2012. So I was in university at the time, but was basically had that on the back burner, was taking a few courses here and there by correspondence because I was literally living out of a suitcase, traveling to tournaments and, and, you know, um, different test matches in like South America, Russia, India, all over Europe, Australia. Like it was, it was, it was pretty crazy few years, but, uh, ultimately we, we failed to qualify for London and I, uh, just got really burnt out with the sport and, and realized that I actually kind of grew to hate it after a while, (laughs) oddly enough. Wow. Yeah. That can definitely happen if you're involved with sport at that level and that's your entire life. Um, it definitely can get to the point that you'll never want to do that particular sport again. I love ice hockey. I fell in love when I was like three years old. I was on skates as soon as possible and I've skated my entire life. I know next to nothing about field hockey. It kind of seems, and maybe this is just the women, but it seems like you're really like hunched over kind of running around all over the place to use the, the, the stick. That's kind of like a cane. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, I'll say, um, at the very high, top level, it's definitely a different game than what most people would expect. It's a a lot faster. I would picture like soccer, but a lot faster. It's almost like soccer meets lacrosse. I would say at at a very high level, um, the ball moves very quickly, a lot of running now, now the game's so fast that teams, you know, where in soccer, you know, guys might play the whole game, but now in field hockey at the top level, you know, you're substituting every five to seven minutes. So it's kind of like in between ice hockey and, and, and soccer in terms of like the energy systems needed and, and kind of the all out effort. So it's pretty, pretty demanding sport, really entertaining at, at, at the highest level, but, um, I'll agree. It's, it's not the best spectator sport at, at lower levels. So I think that's partly why it's not as popular here. Yeah. Interesting. And definitely not something you're ever going to pick back up again. It sounds like, <laughs> no, unfortunately I, I played record, you know, club level after I retired for a couple of years and really just didn't even like it then. So mm. I just said, Hey, let's not force it. Let's get it, you know, do gotcha. something else. So you went from running around all over the place to running around mm. all over the place. You got into uh, running a marathon and then ultra marathon. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So being hyper competitive and, and, you know, 
your typical kind of hyperactive person. Yeah, obviously a lot of, of energy to burn after I wasn't playing field hockey. So I had a friend of mine, I was working for a software company at the time and, and him and I, Chris would go running before work in the mornings, just around Vancouver doing road, road loops. And eventually we were doing some Googling and I think he, he had the idea to run the Vancouver marathon. I said, Hey, great. Sounds like a good idea. We're like, okay, well, when is it? Hey, it's in, it's in six weeks. So, you know, we went from puttering around running, you know, half an hour here, an hour there in the morning, a couple of days a week to all of a sudden Googling, you know, marathon training plans. And, you know, we ended up getting through it. It wasn't pretty obviously like most people's first marathon. And then all of a sudden I had some other friends that were saying, Hey, you know, you're on the West coast of Canada. There's beautiful mountains, beautiful trails everywhere. Why don't you try trail running? So I got kind of dragged into that by some friends and, and realized that it was just, just this whole other sport and kind of side of running more exploration based. And it's almost like, you know, going for long, beautiful hikes, but you're running a bit and just moving a bit faster. So I really became passionate about nature and just moving through the mountains. And, and before you know it, I was signing up for these crazy, like mountain ultra marathon races and, and really pushing my body and just kind of seeing how far I could take it. That's amazing. I think recently I've been, you know, more exposed to do different, two different things that I am super fascinated by. And I also know that I will never do them in my life. And one of them is formula one. I, I love formula one all of a sudden. Thank you, Netflix. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think I'll ever make it to that level. And the second is ultra marathon. I, I never thought that we would interview as many ultra marathoners as we have. And just hearing, not just being, um, on the trails and doing these really long runs, but there's something about the community that just sounds so special. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the community is really what drew me to it as I got into it. So it, it's a bit unique. It's a bit quirky. I would say if people do, people say it's kind of like what triathlon was maybe 10 years ago. And, you know, it was people showing up, you know, sleeping in their cars before the race, you know, doing some weird trail race and having a barbecue after drinking beers, you know, people sitting on lawn chairs. It's kind of got like funny old school music festival vibes as well. Um, and yeah, it's all just kind of a lot of it's a celebration of the sport, really. Just we're all out here. I, I think I think the difficulty of these races lends itself to a certain personality type. But but also, if you do have more of an ego, it's really going to strip you of that pretty quickly because the trail is just really unforgiving in that sense. It strips you down. It strips you down raw and like really just get gets you to where a lot of people are on a, an equal playing field. And, and that really brings out the best in people I find. So it's a really nice kind of eclectic group of people. It seems like every person going through an ultra marathon at some point in every race and probably multiple points has to come up against some kind of weird surprise that they weren't necessarily planning for. And they have to be able to overcome these hurdles as they come. And I think it's such a wonderful metaphor of life where you wake up one day and you don't exactly know what's going to happen that day, but you need to be ready for everything. And I, I think you're right. I think it does produce a certain personality. Yeah. And, and I, I think it, it makes you, um, well, the time commitment is difficult to manage other things, but I would say it gives you so many other skills that help in other areas of life, you know, problem solving, teamwork, leadership, triaging things. And, and I think I know just in other areas of relationships and business and, and just challenges and struggles of everyday life, I know that I've been through so much, you know, training and doing these races that a lot of other things kind of seem like, uh, you know, a walk in the park sometimes. Yeah. That's, there's so much value in endurance sport in that way, like literally enduring. And you learn that about yourself that you're maybe stronger than you think you can deal with things as they come. And that can carry on through the rest of life. I think that's such a great point you just made. Um, we, we said in the introduction that, you know, up until 2014, you were experiencing quite a bit of success. What level, um, of, of success were you experiencing? Yeah. So I realized when I was training that I respond really well to training and I was quite resilient at the time, I would say. So I could, you know, pile on the miles, do some workouts, was getting pretty fit and ended up winning a lot of races locally here in like Vancouver, British Columbia, but also down, you know, the West coast of, um, Washington, Oregon, down in California. So I was doing quite well regionally. I certainly wasn't lighting the world on fire in terms of at a national level or anything, but I really felt like I had some potential to maybe do that given how well I was doing after, you know, a year or two of training. So this is kind of the story that a lot of runners run into, you know, a little bit too much too soon. You get a little bit too ambitious and just push it too much. And 
you really just can't do that with running because it's just so hard in your body that when you, you push the envelope for, you know, a week here, a week there, maybe you get away with it, but over time, your body's going to catch up with you. And, and it did with me. Unfortunately, I didn't, I didn't ignore some early, early warning signs and just kept pushing through, kept pushing through. Cause I had this goal race on the calendar that was going to be my coming out party in, you know, 2015 and just sacrificed everything to try to train for this race. And, you know, before I knew it, I ended up, um, rupturing my plantar fascia, which is just some connective tissue on the bottom of your foot. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very strange injury. Uh, most people have heard of plantar fasciitis. So what I did was I had that, but I kept running on it and it actually like ruptured that area of your foot. Um, so that led to years of, uh, depression and kind of like trying to figure out how to fix it because Western medicine didn't really have any answers for me. So it was a really, the most difficult time in my life. And I'm really grateful that 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 alone was the most difficult thing I've been through because I'm lucky to have a pretty fortunate life. You know, I haven't had any crazy tragedies yet or anything to deal with. So in the grand scheme of things, if that's the hardest thing I've been through, then I've had a pretty good life so far. So sure. But you don't, you don't feel that way in the moment and everything that you're training for is so important. And it's easy to sit here now and think back and like, yeah, those were the warning signs. I should have listened to those, but, but putting yourself back in those shoes at the time, did you know you were pushing yourself too much and pushing yourself through injuries that you shouldn't have done? I, my whole athletic career, I thought, well, I had been very resilient. I thought I had a really kind of strong body and tendons and bones and that type of thing. Cause I didn't get injured easily. And, uh, yeah, that definitely changed the last few years with running. So in my early running career, you know, everyone get these, gets these niggles. Most of the time you can kind of, you know, work on them while you're running and get through it. I think these ones were maybe just, you know, a little bit too close to injury that I was kind of playing with fire. I was kind of walking the tightrope there and, you know, usually you get away with it for so long and then maybe you don't. So, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it's, it's obviously a lesson learned in hindsight, but it's really hard to figure that out in the moment. You know, I have a lot of younger runners that talk to me about this and I try to tell them, but the reality is sometimes you need to experience it for yourself and, you know, really quote unquote, hit rock bottom to re to have, um, something that's going to kickstart a change. Yeah. That's a really good point. When do you remember how you felt the day that you kind of were, were given the diagnosis of something that is really exceedingly rare, incredibly painful, but, but was kind of like, you may not be able to do this much longer. Yeah, there, there were a few, you know, I'm so stubborn. I got, I had one doctor and, and, you know, we did some MRI imaging and ultrasounds and he was like, Whoa, this is one of the worst, you know, uh, foot tendons I've ever seen. I was like, Holy crap, that doesn't sound very good. So I actually, you know, I was so stubborn. I wouldn't got other opinions. Right. I was trying to get a different opinion that would, or, you know, find someone who could say it was treatable. So had a few, you know, kind of sports med doctors look at it and say, you know, it wasn't looking good to be honest. Some of them said I wouldn't run again. Some of them said, you know, Hey, you're pretty fit. When you take up cycling, you'd be a good cyclist. And you know, that's not really what, really what you want to hear at the time. So I, uh, you know, kind of pushed them to the side and was just trying all these different things, just grasping, grasping at so many straws, trying to figure out how to heal this thing. I was seeing, you know, naturopaths and chiropractors, physios, RMTs, functional med, you know, Chinese medicine doctors, really the gamut trying to find something that would work. And I think some of them, some of them helped eventually, but, um, there was also some things that were counterproductive along the way. I mean, for example, I was seeing, a, um, he was, he was a naturopath who, um, did some somewhat newer techniques at the time that they're, they're, they're a little more common now. So like PRP, they call it platelet rich plasma therapy, where for the listeners, they, you know, draw your blood and they spin it in a centrifuge to isolate, um, some of the red blood cells and the growth factors. And then they'll, they'll inject that back into the site of the injury to try to cause a bunch of inflammation, but also use those growth factors to eventually start to heal the injury. Now I paid for that out of pocket, seeing this naturopath. I did it, I think six times. Um, and it just wasn't working. It was actually making it worse, but I just thought, Hey, you know, they say it's gonna, you know, it causes a lot of inflammation and then maybe it gets better in a couple of months. So I just kept doing it. It kept getting worse. And yeah, that probably cost me another year right there. I'm <laughs> just wow. like setbacks. 
Wow. Yeah. So it was actively making it worse. It was something that you were paying for and was like really not, it wasn't that it was neutral. It was, that it was actively making it worse. It was, it was definitely making it worse yeah. in hindsight. Yeah. That's crazy. So what, what things looking back now, what things were really helping? Did you find anything that was really going to put you on the right path? Yeah, I'd say a bunch of things. So, you know, fr frustrated with Western medicine, um, certain aspects of it, some parts of it were helpful. I would say, you know, changing, changing my outlook on, 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 on lifestyle and eating and stress management. And I would say kind of some of the, some of the, like the quote unquote woo woo type things were just like, were, that were helpful for me were just kind of letting go of running. Um, I spent so much mental energy being like, Hey, I got to stay somewhat fit. I got to cross train. I got to be ready for when I can start running again. But you know, I hadn't been running in like a year, a year and a half at this point. So I think really just like letting go of the aspect of, of running or at least running, uh, in the form that I was accustomed to and, and being like, Hey, you know, I couldn't even walk properly at the time. So, you know, maybe just figuring out how to walk and, and walk pain-free would be uh, a nice lifestyle change, let, let alone running. So I think that really helps, you know, um, there was a lot of different foods and, and, and stuff I was trying. I, 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 you know, eating pretty well, kind of like a paleo ish diet, but with more carbs as an endurance athlete, um, started, you know, this, this is also where I found bone broth. I found that, um, particularly to heal tendon injuries, collagen or gelatin rich foods, um, were shown to be beneficial with this researcher in, in California. So I found out that bone broth was the most natural source of, of collagen you can find. So I started, you know, making that in my apartment because you couldn't buy it at the time in, in 2015 and, you know, doing that, trying all these other weird foods. Um, I'll say that it was definitely a combination of things that, that really helped me turn the corner. I saw a really good massage therapist that was doing some kind of weird, he called them like deep fascia techniques in my calves that I'd never, I'd never seen before with all the other practitioners I'd been seeing. I think those helped a little bit. I, I saw a really good podorthist, which is similar to a podiatrist who, um, helped a little bit with some of the gait stuff that was wrong with me, had a good physio. So it was really just like a combination of so many different things that finally started to help turn the corner. That's amazing. Yeah. Just bits and pieces and tools in the toolbox. It's interesting. My yeah. wife does a certain form of deep tissue, uh, myofascial release as well. And I've seen it work miracles on a lot of people. I don't think it's a, you know, miracle cure for everybody, but for a lot of people, you, 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 know, once you push the tissue in a certain way and have people move and stretch through that, you, you can really create a lot more space in the body and relieve a lot of pain. Um, and she's definitely one that's against a lot of those injections. She, she might say the same thing about some of the things you went through that were, you know, less helpful, but that's, yeah, that's amazing. And so cool that you were able to, you know, go out and seek all of those different things. And you talk about like giving up your aspirations to run to me, that's a death. That's mourning something. We attach our egos to these things that we think we need in our lives and our, our identities are so tied up in that. And to realize that those things kind of go away, it's really difficult to surrender into that. And, you know, our egos want to fight that and want to cling and want to hold on to those things when really it's, it's, we're, we're clinging to fluff. We're clinging to an idea or something, you know, it's not even a tangible thing. You're right. And, and that's a good point. Cause, cause even now when I am running, you know, I'm, I'm having a great time running now, but you know, I always talk to my wife about this. She's a great kind of reminder to that. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm still not the runner I was in 2014, 2015. This is like eight years later and that's okay. Like I'm a different person, you know, I, I need to give up the idea of trying to just get back to that level I was at back then because I'm a different person. You know, I have different goals. I have different aspirations. You know, I'm, I'm married now. I'm not a, I'm not a single guy who can just like put everything into training and cross training and being fit. Um, you know, that's, that's a nice, that's a nice part of your life. But, uh, I think, I think, you know, we all got to grow up at some point and realize that there's more to life than uh, the ego driven pursuits, you know? Totally. Yeah. So interesting. I want to go back to when you discovered bone broth and again, 2015, not a lot of people were talking about this. So how was it introduced to you in your life and, and what did you initially think of it? Sure. So yeah, back when I was on this wild goose chase of trying all these weird foods that were supposed to heal the body, bone broth was one of the things I found, I think just from like Googling stuff, or listening to listening to podcasts back in the day, maybe some people were mentioning it here and there. And I was looking around, no one was selling it in Canada. There was one or two companies in the US that were kind of popping up and just getting started. So I remember I called one of the companies and was like, hey, uh, 
I love what you're doing. Are you guys, are you guys doing okay? Are you guys making money doing this? And you said, yeah, we're doing pretty well, you know, we're, we're growing. So that was really just enough for me to say, Hey, I'm at a decent point in my life where I'm young. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a family. Why don't we take a risk and, and try to start something here to provide this, this, this product, this bone broth that helped me so much to other people who could maybe experience some of the same benefits. I just became so passionate about the product and, and what it did for me. Um, you know, I know I d- it didn't heal my injury, but it, it was a, it was a part of that process in my life. And I think timing's everything there where it was just an opportunity in the market and, and I was ready for it. So I just figured, Hey, let's move fast. Let's, let's figure out what we need. Um, take a year, try to, you know, get some early demand, get it into stores and, and the market will tell me if, if it's going to be viable or not. Yeah, no, that's great. I, for somebody like me who, you know, grew up where soup was, a can. (laughs) And if you made soup from scratch, you would boil water and put in this little cube of chicken flavored bullion. And that was like, wow, this is really good soup from scratch. Like totally. It's so interesting how, you know, even just in a few generations, we have absolutely just completely moved away from bone broth as a thing. And I think we've really suffered through it. And so maybe you can comment a little bit about like, how long have we been using bones in the diet for somebody that, again, soup comes from a can, they, they, they're never exposed to any, you know, bones at all, because you can buy boneless skinless chicken breasts, and you can buy boneless ribeyes and all these things that you, you don't even need to be exposed to them. Yeah, you're right. It's a great, it's a great point. So, so bone broth definitely dates back in just about every ancient civilization for, you know, thousands of years. We have records of, um, you know, people in Europe, the French, the Italians, a lot of Asian cultures using it. And the reason they used it is because it was this whole animal approach where, hey, we have limited resources. We need to figure out a way to make use of every single part of the animal. And that uh, manifested itself in making, you know, bone-based soups back in the day. So they would eat all the meat. They would have the bones left over, you know, Hey, let's throw all these in a pot. Let's get some water. Let's make a good soup broth and, you know, add whatever we have. Maybe they had some vegetables lying around. They would throw those in there and they would, you know, drink this at the end of the day. And, 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 you know, they, uh, they probably knew there was, they were onto something. There was some nutrition there and it's really been, been, been used in that, um, in one form or another since then, you know, I get, Every every week I get customers telling me, oh, this is like such a, a good authentic product. It reminds me of like the soup I drank when I was a kid because my grandma would always make these like bone-based soups from scratch. So it's uh, it's kind of cool hearing those stories. And and you're right. It's really only like in the industrial food system that we, we got away from uh, real kind of like whole animal nutrition where... Um, now it's like, Hey, let's, what's a shortcut for that. We can use bouillon cubes that don't even have animal products in them. It's full of like yeast extracts and stuff, or it's like, yeah, we we want like the cleanest, uh, you know, piece of chicken breast that doesn't have any skin or, uh, you know, tendons attached to it, but we're really like shooting ourselves in the foot because now we're realizing that, Hey, there's so much more nutrition and, and, and benefits from these fattier cuts of meat or, lower quality cuts of meats or organs that like were severely lacking in our Western diet. And part of the reason why I'm drawn to bone broth is, is, is it helped me, but it's also a really like, you know, nice and beautiful way to, to, to kind of upcycle parts of the animal that were ended up in the landfill in the nineties and two thousands. And now, now we've created a market where these farmers are able to, to sell them at a great price. And, you know, we're able to make a, a really nice like uh, beverage out of it. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm definitely not a paleoarchaeologist, <laughs> but I recall learning that, you know, as we evolved with an imposable thumb, we could then, you know, make and hold on to tools and, and seeing that we were using stones to crack open like femur bones or skulls to access those parts of the animal that previously we would not have had the ability to access just gave us, you know, so much more access to that nutrition, which is a little bit different than like you were saying, like muscle meats. Is that the way you understand it as well? Yeah, no, no, definitely. You're right. It's like, the, you know, the marrow and the bones and all the connective tissue and stuff. And like, even for people now, like, chicken wings is like a great example. It's like, there's so much great connective tissue on chicken wings. Um, not only to eat, but I tell people at home, like, Hey, 
Uh, chicken wings really make fantastic bone broth. So if you're making it at home, just buy a bunch of chicken wings, throw them in there and you're going to have like the best bone broth around. Yeah, totally. When most people consume chicken wings, you know, deep fried and then covered in sugar, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, that doesn't quite work as well. <laughs> well, before we talk about, uh, more of like the science and, and, you know, what kind of things we, sh- we can expect in bone broth, let's, let's go back to your experience as you were incorporating more bone broth, when you decided to do that, how quickly were you noticing some benefits? Yeah, it's interesting. So I I was drinking this like water, you know, I would, I would make a pot every night, simmer it for 24 hours, you know, stink up my whole apartment building, you know, all my clothes stunk like it. Like if if, for people that make it at home, if you know, you know, like it's a wonderful smell, but it's a bit much after a while. So I will say that 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 was, that was difficult for everybody involved. I was um, certainly giving it to friends. I became so excited because after, you know, a week or two, all of a sudden my digestion felt like really, really good. It's hard to describe to some people because, uh, until you try it, when, when people have bone broth, sometimes they, um, feel more satiated, but, um, other people actually get more of like a ravenous appetite. And, and now that I've learned more about it, I've realized that's because a lot of the amino acids, glycine and proline, when they're in your gut, they actually like stimulate your, the digestive enzymes in your gut to kind of like, quote unquote, do their job better. So when people kind of, uh, start to realize that, that, you know, things move through the gut more quickly, the digestion gets better. And and that's really the first benefit that most people will see after, you know, as much as like three days to a week or so. So I started to notice that that was the first thing. And then after, you know, three, four weeks, um, my kind of like joints felt a little better. I just felt, I just felt better overall, like energy levels were better, and, you know, people start commenting on your skin. I mean, this doesn't happen for everybody, but, um, yeah, I would say like skin, gut health, and then, and then kind of tendon stuff at like kind of the month mark. Um, and, and then after, you know, six weeks, my feet, my foot was feeling a little better, you know, obviously I was doing all these other things, but, um, that, that, that's kind of like the, the, the order of operations I'd say for most people to experience as well when they start, when they start drinking it. Yeah. That's certainly been our experience as we've been encouraging our clients for several years to make bone broth themselves or use things like collagen proteins as a supplement. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the gut has been a really surprising one to me, especially initially before really understanding why that gets so much better. So I really appreciate that explanation. Let's talk about some of the components of bone broth, some of the favorite ones that a lot of people talk about and, and why specifically they're beneficial. Sure. Yeah. So from, let's start with the gut. So from a gut perspective, the, the really, I mean, the coolest part of bone broth, in my opinion, is, is glycine. So glycine is uh, an amino acid. It is tech, they call it a non-essential amino acid, meaning that you can't survive off, you know, glycine alone is it's not going to give you enough, um, you know, protein and building blocks to, to survive. But, uh, it's a bit of a misnomer because glycine does so many other really incredible things in the body. And the, 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 the difficult thing is we only get it from, you know, fattier cuts of meat from bones, from connective tissue or bone broth. So bone broth is really the, the, the best natural way of getting it. You get about three to four grams per cup and, and glycine is really cool because it, it really fights inflammation in your gut. Um, and so particularly people with like leaky gut issues, digestive issues, um, the, the three grams of glycine you're going to get in a cup of bone broth is really kind of what helps tighten up the, 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 the loose junctions in your gut because it's actually shown to, to stimulate new, um, tissue growth in the mucosal layer of your gut. Um, so, so that, that, that's the gut health perspective. Glycine, glycine is really cool because there's also new research showing that it can help, uh, balance out your blood sugar after a carb heavy meal. So they're using glycine to help, uh, type two diabetics kind of deal with some of their symptoms. That's really interesting. The, the other cool thing about glycine is it's actually shown to be, uh, an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So some people take, uh, GABA for sleep. GABA is uh, a pretty famous, you know, inhibitory neurotransmitter. That's pretty popular these days. Um, glycine works on a very similar, uh, pathway in the brain. And a lot of people actually take it um, at night for, for sleep benefits. So I always say, Hey, you know, one of the unconventional uses of bone broth, drink it an hour before bed, and it's going to help you, uh, decrease your core body temperature and kind of prepare your body to get into those deeper phases of sleep throughout the night. Um, most people know, about the skin health benefits of, you know, collagen and, and bone broth. So I won't get in too much about that. The, the, the interesting one that I don't vocalize a ton, but 
anecdotally, most of our customers find us because of this is the whole weight loss, satiety benefits. Um, bone broth is, is seen as a, a food that's like low calorie, high protein, you know, quite satisfying, you know, has electrolytes. So maybe it's good for fasting. So we get a lot of people using it for, for fasting just to get like a little bit in their system to keep their electrolytes balanced while they're fasting or even on keto or dieting. Um, I don't outright recommend it for these types of things. Cause I don't know, you know, I, I don't want to be like kind of like a greasy salesman in, in the supplement industry. You know, I focus on more of like the whole food benefits, but you know, pe people want it and we have a quality one for that. So, so it's certainly uh, a growing benefit as well. Yeah. Thank you so much for that explanation. Um, we've learned that different bones have different types of particularly like collagen, like there's different classes of collagen. Yeah. Well, is it important for us to blend those together to get the maximum benefit or do we need bones from just certain animals? Yeah, that's like such a loaded question, but, but it's cool. I, I appreciate you asking. So I would say the short answer is if you really want to cover your nutritional bases, you can find a high quality beef bone broth and a high quality chicken bone broth. Now what I do, cause I'm a bone broth maker, I mix those together and it tastes delicious and you get the nutrition from both. But really when it comes down to the, the differences, we're, we're splitting hairs. You know, I have an article outlining all, all the specific differences. Um, beef is a little bit better for, for gut health because it has a bit more glycine, but, but you know, chicken broth is a bit better for skin health. We don't have to get into those semantics now. I, I will say for people making it at home, the different bones will definitely um, change how your finished product looks. So we've invested so much time in finding the specific types of bones that are going to give us the most, you know, bang for our buck nutritionally. So the way I see it, we're, we're using bones to harvest connective tissue and harvest collagen and amino acids into a, a beverage. So we're going to go after the bones that do this in the most economical and efficient way. So for beef bone broth, the way that looks is a mix of kind of like the long marrow bones, like you mentioned the femur. Um, that's an example of a marrow bone. Those work okay um, for, for taste and flavor, but they're really, if you look at it, there's really no connective tissue on it. So they're not as great for making a, you know, a gelatinous or, or thick bone broth that has a lot of protein. You really want the joints. You want the knees, you want the hips, you want the, the neck. Uh, I don't want to give away all of our secrets, but, uh, <laughs> those are, th those are going to give you more bang for your buck in terms of making it at home. And for chicken, if you think about, uh, the parts of the chicken that have the most connective tissue, again, it's going to be the joints. So if you can find chicken feet, those are kind of the Holy grail of chicken broth. Uh, I mentioned wings are good. Uh, and then necks and carcasses and backs are okay too, but you just have to use more of them to get, uh, the same kind of protein level from your broth. I see. Gotcha. No, that's a really good explanation. In my mind, if you're using the bone marrow for anything other than slathering it on a delicious steak, it's I agree. kind of a waste. <laughs> it's so good. No, yeah, I agree. And it's hard to find these days. You know, there's like people like me buying all the bones, uh, from all these, uh, processors. So, you know, sometimes you can't even find it at the store or, you know, it's pretty rare in restaurants around here. I don't, I don't know about where you are. Yeah, totally. It can be a little harder, but, but again, if it's a priority for you, you'll make it a priority. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if people have the means to be able to make their own, they've got the time, they know how to do it. I, I, certainly hope they would. And it's like, okay, well, you just need to be resourceful. Like I know a great butcher nearby who has great chicken wings and we can air fry them and they're absolutely delicious. And I just save all those bones in the freezer until I have enough to make a batch of broth. And it's the same with like a rotisserie chicken. Like you can be resourceful with some of these things and yeah. you know, you can eat all the protein and skin off of it and save some of this other stuff to make really high quality stuff at home. Yeah, no, you're right. And and that's such a, it's such a nice way of doing it. It's like, it's like anytime you can find a way to not waste food and make something with what you've got, like, it's just, we, we need more of that in the world. So yeah. kudos to you for, well, for doing that. Well, the, and thank you. But the difficult thing for a lot of people is they either don't have the space or they are having a tricky time finding the bones or they don't, they don't know how to, you know, maybe roast the bones to make them taste a little bit better mm -hmm. in the broth or how much to concentrate these things. And they can certainly learn how to do that. But again, time might be a real constraint for them. And so this is where I love people like you that are coming into this space, I, I would love for people to get all of that stuff in their diet, but I kind of just know that they won't. And so that's the power mm -hmm. of a supplementation. That's the power of getting something from somewhere else. Somebody like you, who's made that very convenient and taken away that excuse for somebody. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's why we exist, right? I, I think I did the I did the back of the envelope math at one point. I was like, oh my gosh, we've made like something like 500,000 liters of, of bone broth in the last wow. like few few years. So yeah, it's pretty, it, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So, um, if anyone as anyone who's made it can attest, like it's a, it's a pain in the ass. It's not easy. <laughs> it's hard, hard to get it right. Even if you do make it. So sometimes you feel like you're wasting your time because your first few batches suck. So, um, yeah, that's, that's why we're around to help. Well, we absolutely love that. We love you wrote an article that talks all about like some of your favorite brands. And just to say, like, there are options. We hope you choose ours. Like, I would love for you to choose ours. But the same, if somebody came to me for personal training, but our schedules didn't jive, I would want to give them some other great personal trainers that I would recommend. And so I, I love that you have done that. Can you maybe talk about some of the commercially available bone broths. Um, what sets yours apart? Like how is yours different? And then maybe other go-to ones, if somebody can't find yours, Bluebird Provisions, and they need to go for a different one, what things should they be looking for? Sure. Yeah. This, this again is, is, uh, is really tough because you're going to have to meet people where they are. You know, some people have certain dietary preferences. Some people are allergic to certain things. Some people care about organic. Some people don't. I would say that for meat products in general and bone broth included, while certified organic isn't the end-all be-all and it's not the best system, it, it's kind of nice, I say, insurance because it's a it's an independent third-party audit where you, you know that the brand is is you know being vetted by someone other than the brand. So if they don't have some sort of third-party certificate, then you, you never really know. You really have to trust the brand. And, and I say this with a product line that has some certified organic products made by Bluebird Provisions, my company, but we also have one new product that's not certified organic. And certainly our goal is, is to get there with this, this one product line, which is uh, our instant bone broth powder. So it's actually our most popular product. And you know, I, I had to make the decision to go um, non-GMO and pasture raised, but not certified organic to start because for um, cost reasons, it's it's difficult to justify people trying a product that is you know fifty percent more expensive when we were first you know trialing it and getting this to market. And um, you know supply chain is always difficult, even at the best of times. Now in COVID, it's it's nearly impossible to find enough of uh, the inputs to make it certified organic. So um, yeah, I, I would say you know we we have both. Uh, our our most popular product is the instant bone broth powder. Now this some people don't appreciate powders. Maybe they don't need the convenience. They, they want something that more resembles what they would make at home, which is a liquid product. And, um, you know, we do have those available in Canada, but we don't get in the U S we're, we're working on it. So that's why, you know, I'm okay with, you know, looking at some of the other brands out there. I know all of them. I've tried most of them when I'm, when I'm down in the U S so, you know, I, I spend a lot of time and I take, I take, I take a lot of pride in, in helping people, understand what goes into food labels and what goes into bringing this type of product to market. I can see through kind of like all the BS because I, I know exactly what these brands are doing. And yeah, with that, I'm, I'm happy to like, you know, talk about a few in the U S specifically that have liquid products that are a bit higher quality than some of the other ones. So, you know, two, two of the ones that come to mind, I would say, um, our Brodo does a pretty good job. So, that is started by this like famous New York chef, Marco Canora. He has a restaurant in Manhattan called uh, Hearth, I think. And he has, he has some good bone broth. I'm not sure if he ships around. Um, and then I would say uh, the other one, Bonafide Provisions is, is pretty good as well. That they're a, they're a frozen liquid product available in most grocery stores. Um, so if you're in a pinch, that one's good, but obviously, um, Bluebird provisions, uh, is, uh, you know, there's no substitute for that. And when we do ship all over the U S as well. So, yeah, that's fantastic. And I know your product has gone through quite an evolution. You were also doing frozen in the very beginning. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's how we started. It's, um, yeah, it's really difficult to make basically impossible to make a shelf stable product that kind of like has all the quality assurance that I would need in a product I'm looking for. So, Frozen's like a, a natural and a perfect preservative, in my opinion. Uh, you don't have to add anything nasty to it and it just extends the shelf life. So while distribution is a complete nightmare and it's very expensive and it's hard to ship to people, um, it is really the highest quality, in my opinion, that you can get with a, with a bone broth. Um, so that's the way we started. And you know, after years, we kind of figured out that, hey, online is the big opportunity here. How do we scale that? How do we help more people with bone broth? where, Hey, you know, maybe I have to sacrifice 
a couple of percentage points of our quality, but now we have a format, our dehydrated powder format that really just allows more people to get the benefits um, of bone broth in a more convenient format. So that was the decision with the powder. And really like, to be honest, it saved our business. You know, we, we almost went bankrupt in COVID like so many other people did. And, and we were able to kind of claw and, and spend our last few dollars launching this powder. And uh, yeah, it's really saved us. I'm, I'm like so grateful we were able to, to, to get it to market. Well, I certainly am grateful as well. The instant product is my favorite of yours um, to use. And I, I was wondering if, you know, the taste would be affected by by making it into a powder and reconstituting it, rehydrating it, and absolutely, that was not the case. It's absolutely delicious, I think. Um, but tell me about the process, what you guys have to do to get there, and is anything lost in the nutrition when you're doing it that way? Yeah, so to make a bone broth powder in a large scale is, is really difficult. It took us a couple of years to figure out. So what we do is we take our chicken broth, we'll, we'll make it, uh, you know, in the traditional kind of low and slow simmer. And then what we do is we dehydrate it kind of like you would at home, but the, but the techniques are, are a little different. It's not like a standard dehydrator. We actually use a, a spray drying technique, which is kind of like the evolution of, of the natural dehydration. It, it's kind of what kind of the gold standard for what supplement companies use to dehydrate anything into a powder. So we do that, a spray drying technique that, that leaves us with a powder, but you actually need one extra step because when you have a, a powder product, um, if you don't go through this extra step, which is called agglomeration, you're going to end up with a product that doesn't mix properly into liquid. So I think everybody's had that protein powder or, you know, something that just turns into a gooey kind of cakey, sticky Clumpy mess when you try gross. to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and as I was more so like 10, 15 years ago, because most of these companies are doing this extra step, but you still see them every so often. And particularly with bone broth powders, it, it still happens a lot because um, it's expensive to do this technique. It's it's not ubiquitous yet, and uh, bone broth's tricky because it's naturally quite sticky. So when you when if you don't do this step, you're going to end up with like the biggest clump of of you know stuff in your drink that uh, won't won't mix well at all. So we do those two steps, and we end up with a with a really nice powder that has um, you know all the tastes that you would want. It kind of has that nice rich chicken flavor of a, of a traditionally made chicken bone broth. And in terms of nutrition, it really preserves everything, but one thing. So you're going to get all the electrolytes, you're going to get all the protein, but, um, the way the protein works is in, in bone broth, you have a lot of gelatin, which is kind of like a cooked form of collagen. It has the same amino acid structure, the same benefits, but it's just kind of a different form. And really the hallmark of a, of a high protein and a quality liquid bone broth is that when you put it in the fridge, it turns to gelatin and it kind of gels up when you shake it. That, that tells you that it has at least around eight grams of protein per cup. Now, when you turn it into a powder, the gelatin gets converted into collagen. So if you reconstitute it, you make a cup um, by adding hot water and you put it in the fridge, you'll notice that it won't gel. Um, that's really the only difference it has the exact same protein and amino acid and benefits, but, um, it's just collagen instead of gelatin. That's a so really good, semantics. yeah, that's a really good explanation. Uh, the thing that surprised me too, was something you just mentioned, which is the rich, the richness of the cup. Like I thought for sure, this is going to be, you know, maybe a little bit watery. It's going to be a lot different than, you know, whatever we make at home. And I, it was very savory to me. I thought it was just as rich as any other bone broth that I've ever had. I thought it was delicious. Oh, nice. Well, thanks so much. I'm glad you, uh, glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the thing that I, I love about it is if I'm thinking about, you know, my annual backpacking trip, you know, with my buds, you know, that involves all these hikes and, and getting in and out of our campsite, obviously backpacking, you want to be absolutely as light as possible. What an amazing product to take for something like that. Super convenient, not very heavy. I'm not schlepping a bunch of liquid everywhere. That's totally great. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, and it's interesting. So for listeners that it, it's in a, you know, you got 15 servings in a pouch and, uh, you can see where this is going. The number one question we get is, Hey, do you have single serve options? Uh, which, which would be great for your backpacking and yeah, it'd be great for what I do and pretty much what everybody does. Take it to work with you, take it to the gym, whatever. So we are working on that and, and hopefully we'll have something in the next, in the next few months for people in a, in a single serve variety. But, but, you know, it's difficult because we're an environmentally conscious company and, you know, single serve produces more waste. So 
there are ways to do it in recyclable packaging, but um, yeah, it's just, it's tricky. Yeah. Gotcha. I'm thinking about that backpacking trip. And since you already have this technology, can you dehydrate a beer for me so I can have a nice brew when I'm up backpacking? <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, unfortunately, the, the, the volumes will be pretty high. We'd have to make a lot of it, but uh, maybe we could, we could figure that You'll out. You'll figure it out and just send me some when you get it. That's great. <laughs> um, for somebody who, I don't know. With bone broth, there does seem to be a, a percentage of people that have a slight aversion to it. They think it's a little bit mm-hmm. weird, or maybe they don't love the taste or the texture or something. What? But but it's still so beneficial for that person. What are some creative ways that you've found to mm-hmm. get more of that in their diet that may not be just drinking it from a mug? You guys do such a great job of having different recipes and different ways to make it. What are some of the more like creative things that you've come up with? Yeah, for me, the number one way I consume it now is uh, people are going to think this is weird, but don't knock until you try it. I put uh, one or two scoops of the powder into my bowl of porridge in the morning. Uh, I mix it all up. I'll add in whatever else I was going to put in it anyways. I don't know. I put like nut butter or something in it. And um, now it's like, it's kind of like this nice savory. I don't know some people don't like savory breakfast, but it's kind of a nice savory, uh, you know, delicious breakfast. bowl of porridge, you know, it, 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 and if I don't have it now, I kind of miss the flavor. It's, it's really strange how your taste buds kind of change and react. So that's the number one thing I do. Um, I'll say, uh, the number one tip that my mom has for people, bless her. She, uh, she makes, she uses the bone broth powder. She makes a bunch of it and then she pours it into ice cube trays. And then with her morning smoothie, she grabs two ice cubes out of the freezer, puts it in her blender along with everything else she's going to use. So I would say, in smoothies, you can substitute a portion of your like milk or water or whatever you, you use as the liquid uh, for bone broth. And particularly with chicken, it, it's a pretty neutral taste if you don't have you know a ton of it in there. So you're really not going to notice the taste, but you're going to get you know some extra protein, some extra uh, hydration in the form of electrolytes. Um, really, really good way there. And then and then obviously people um, you know in the winter can make soups and stews and sauces. Um, my wife whenever she's like sauteing vegetables. So if you have like, you know, some onions in the pan, we'll, we'll always sprinkle a little bit of bone broth on there uh, just for some added, you know, taste and flavor and add a bit of water to kind of stir it all up together. Um, it's kind of the easiest way from a, from a, from a cooking perspective. And then, yeah, gosh, I wrote like a whole uh, ebook with like uh, more, you know, fine tuned like recipes in terms of like, you know, fancy people call, you know, like whatever, like bone broth lattes with ginger and turmeric and, and, you know, um, you know, steamed or like, or, or, or like foamed with milk and stuff. So we've got all sorts of like cool recipes, but I think those are like more of the ways where you can kind of meet people where they are and, 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 you know, um, allow them to kind of work it into their lifestyle as they would. Yeah. I love that. I love that you mentioned using that as liquid to kind of cook up vegetables or things like that. Like if mm-hmm. I'm reheating, you know, a skillet full of, you know, meat left over <laughs> from the day before, rather than, you know, put any other kind of liquid in there, some bone broth, it, just, it goes great. It kind of rehydrates everything and makes it t- taste so much fresher. Um, and, and, you know, cooking things like a batch of, you know, rice or something like, yeah, you can cook mm-hmm. with water, but it's so much better just taste wise, forget the nutrition, just taste wise. It's so much better when you're using bone broth for that. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. That was the big one. I forgot. That's, that's the other like perfect way to use it. Just like substitute for water and any grain you cook. And it's like unbelievable. Yeah. So good. That's great. Well, I do, <laughs> this is also weird, but I do, you know, I do a bit of butter. I do a little bit of MCT in my coffee in the morning, but I transitioned a year mm. or two ago to doing salt in my coffee. And I think it tastes cool. amazing and I totally miss it. And so, yeah, having a savory breakfast, it sounds weird at first, but it is so much better, so much better than that. You know, something that's like really overly sweet that, you know, is going to make you crash in like 30 minutes or an hour. Do you use a uh, quick question? Do you use uh, salt and MCT or did you like substitute the salt for MCT? I, I use a bit of all. Yeah. So I do just oh, cool. a, uh, less than I used to, but I'll do maybe like a half a tablespoon of MCT, half a tablespoon of um, grass fed butter. And then, yeah, I'll put, you know, a few grams of Redmond drill salt in there. And I, I think it tastes delicious. Um, do a lot of people cool. add salt to your broth? Yeah. So we, we purposely don't add any salt in the cooking. Smart. So you're going to get a tiny, you're going to get a tiny bit from the, you know, the chicken skin and the bones and things, but um yeah, I don't know. It's, it's nice for people to be able to adjust the level of salt they see fit. So yeah, I mean, there's only about 150 milligrams per serving, which is pretty low. I would say, you know, if you're looking for a commercial bone broth, anything over 250, 200, even like run for the Hills, you, you know, a lot of them are like sodium bombs, you know, so you gotta, gotcha. be, careful. 
Gotcha. For somebody who maybe has a goal of increasing their muscle mass, it, should they be counting this type of protein towards the, the total amount of protein they should be getting in a day to trigger like muscle protein synthesis? Or is this more like, almost like you almost count it differently as like, this is the protein that's going to help support that connective tissue, the joints, the things that if you're lifting a lot of weight are probably going to be the areas that you're going to be the most injured anyway. Is it, is it kind of two separate things? Yeah, I think it's two separate things. The relationship's really interesting because when, when we eat a lot of muscle meat, um, muscle meat tends to have an amino acid called methionine, which people seem to think may accelerate aging, may not, we're not really sure. But the interesting thing is, is that uh, glycine, the amino acid that I keep harping about, actually kind of like buffers or balances out methionine levels in your body. So I would actually say the more protein or protein from animal sources not including bone broth you consume. So like chicken, steak, those types of things, you actually need more bone broth or glycine rich foods to balance out that methionine intake from a longevity perspective. And in terms of like performance in the gym and, and muscle mass, I would say, yeah, yeah. Bone broth is really about um, supporting your tendons and ligaments, which yeah, people who are in the gym, you know, they realize that a lot of the times that's like the limiting factor to performance because you can train your muscles and they respond quite quickly to, to loads, but I mean, like your tendons and ligaments take a lot longer to respond. So I think, you know, having that connective tissue support is, is really helpful in the long term. Yeah. It's so smart. All of us bros just want to get in the gym and lift heavier weights <laughs> and like not do our mobility work and not eat the proper diet. We just want to go crush a bunch of chicken breasts and bench press all the time. It's so important to consider that that is going to be the rate limiter. If your joints are not ready, mm. if your connective tissue is not strong enough, you're not going to be able to lift the weight. That's just how it is. You're not going to be able to grow muscle the way you want. So it's so important not to neglect that. You mentioned longevity, which brought me to something I was thinking of. One of my favorite tools for longevity is in, in, incorporating some form of intermittent fasting for most people, like mm -hmm. skipping meals here and there, um, depending on you know what, what level they are and how they're able to do that. And one of my favorite things to get somebody out of a fast is using bone broth. Is that something that you've noticed as well? Is that something that you promote? Yeah, definitely. I get, man, I I get emails every week from people either wanting to use it during a fast to just help make it a bit easier if they're new to it, or yeah, exactly. Breaking a fast with bone broth because it's going to set up your digestive system to be able to handle the incoming food when you do break it. I know like everyone who breaks a fast, you know, the first time you probably like punish yourself with all the muffins and everything you want to eat. But then you realize like, oh my gosh, it like was not the best idea. So having Bad a food idea. like bone broth, yeah, is uh, kind of going to set your stomach up to be able to digest things properly. Yeah. Good point. We in our house, uh, sounds like we've got the same setup that you have where we've got two dogs. It sounds like you've got two dogs. Amazing yeah. that any of the four dogs haven't made it onto the podcast yet. Ours freak <laughs> out and make it onto almost every episode. Um, but we found that they are huge fans of, of collagen protein and, and bone broth. Um, have you gotten a lot of also emails and, and people telling you that it's really great for the fur babies as well? I do. I, I, uh, yeah, obviously lo love the dogs. I give my dogs, um, beef bone broth powder and kind of just as a topper and then mix it all up like gravy in their kibble. So that is like unbelievable. My, my dogs are allergic to just about everything. They eat mostly a salmon based diet, but, but the beef bone broth seems to do great for them. So, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're actually going to release a, a beef bone broth powder for dogs. Uh, probably this time next year, by the time we get to it, it's funny. I actually was on a call with a friend yesterday and, and they were asking about it, uh, for their dog. And they're like, why haven't you released it yet? Then I was like, Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're a small company. We're, we're not venture back. We don't have much money to just throw new products out there. So, um, I definitely recommend it, particularly the beef because chicken is more of an allergen for some dogs. So, uh, yeah, we're working on it and, and it's just like so nice for, for their coats, for their digestion, for, their joints. I mean, it's like unbelievable for them. We actually supply a few pet food companies as well. Oh, wow. So, That's great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> I definitely notice it with my oldest dog and in his coat in particular, like it can get dry and flaky, um, as he's aging. And when, when we're up on his collagen consumption and it's specifically from bone broth, I just totally noticed that his coat is so much better. Huge difference. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's so crazy. And, and yeah, like that, as I'm sure, you know, that market's like pretty crazy. Uh, people spend more money on their dogs than they do on themselves. <laughs> totally. Totally. Wow. Well, we, we really love highlighting people who are out there to make a really high quality product, really care about the quality, really care about being sustainable. One of the things that you do really, really well, which I absolutely love and appreciate is you put a very strong focus on education. And again, whether somebody or not is going to be buying your product all the time or or they will some of the time and maybe sometimes they'll learn how to make bone broth. You put a really high priority on educating your people. And I wonder as a business tactic and just as a, a human decency tactic, how has that benefited um, the people that are getting your product? Yeah, I'll say I, I came from a, a software background when, where I began as like a basically a content creator, like a blogger. So I was taught how to write quickly, how to how to educate people in a conversational tone uh, by my mentor at this company. And I, I really kind of like fell in love with writing uh, as weird as it is like later in life when I was doing this. So and, and now with this business, um, our number one kind of like whatever you want to call it, marketing channel is just education. So you know, most mornings I'll sit down, I'll write for a couple hours on, on whatever question people are asking me. And this will usually, uh, take the form of some sort of article on our website, a uh, blog post, or, you know, maybe it's a recipe or a guide on, you know, Hey, here's the add-ins you can put in your bone broth to make it taste better. Uh, here's a recipe with how to make it at home. If you don't want to buy ours, uh, you know, here, here's what's out there. Here's what to look for in a bone broth if you can't buy ours. So, um, you know, I, I think my passion for writing really, really stemmed it and, and it works well for us because now like we get most of our new customers from people just Googling stuff. Like I, I really kind of felt like we could just produce, we had an opportunity to have the best resource on the internet with all things bone broth. And I think we're pretty much there. I don't think anyone does, does a better job than we do. And we're just going to keep, we're just going to keep doing that. Cause I get so many people, you know, talking to me about, Hey, I saw this in your article. I saw that. Oh, you know, they sell a product, you know, maybe we'll, uh, we'll support them and try it. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a nice way to do it. Like we're not, you know, we're not the company that's splashing around big Facebook ads and Instagram ads, you know, that's not really our style. Like I want something that's more sustainable and, and really helps people. So, uh, I think that approach kind of works great. Yeah. I love that. I really love and appreciate that you guys take that approach. This has been such an awesome conversation and such a, a, a cool way to talk about a product that can really be helpful for people. And we just can't recommend it enough for sure. If, if somebody were to listen to this conversation, what is, what is one simple thing that you'd want them to walk away from this conversation with that they could apply in their lives? That's a great question. I would say bone broth is the obvious one. You don't need to particularly drink bone broth, but I think just having this more, more holistic whole animal approach to your eating, um, you know, maybe, maybe buying those cheaper cuts of meat that are a little fattier, have more connective tissue, take longer to cook and really just like celebrating, uh, the slow food aspect and the whole animal aspect of life. So I, I think just getting back to our roots, you know, uh, taking time to prepare things and really just enjoying your meals and what you're doing, whether it's bone broth, that's great, but Hey, you know, you can have a nice slow roasted, you know, uh, you know, piece of, of meat and it's going to be great as well. It's going to give you great nutrition and, you know, really to like support agriculture and farmers who are doing it the right way with holistic practices is really how we're going to fix our food system. So I know I ra rambled around a bit there, but uh, we got there in the end. That is fantastic. No, I absolutely love that. It's coming from somebody who is an ultra marathoner who appreciates the time that it takes to do a task that really has value. I think that's so important and how, how easy it is for us just to eat whatever is available, how easy it is, you know, as I'm driving by even earlier today, the, the soda store down the street at 11 in the morning, the car, the line of cars is wrapping around the building. And we're just in yeah. this culture of like, we don't value anything because everything is convenient and fast. And there's so much more value in taking more time and choosing those, those cuts of meat that are going to take a little bit longer to cook, but you get more appreciation out of it. it. It pays you back in value. And so I absolutely love that. I think that's wonderful advice. Connor Meekin, where can people go to find you and connect with you and your work and find your products? Sweet. So yeah, me personally, I am at Connor Meeks on Twitter. I'm you can find me on LinkedIn, Google my name. I'll pop up, uh, as far as, yeah, the business, our website is bluebirdprovisions.co. My email is all over there if you want to get in touch. And if anyone wants to try it, uh, we're happy to do a discount. We can do 15% with the promo code boundless, all caps. 
So if you want to try some, yeah, go for it. If not, that's that's great too. So we got recipes on the website if you want to make it yourself. That's amazing. Thank you so much. We will definitely link that in the show notes. Really appreciate having this conversation. We really appreciate people out there doing really good work and making really good products. So Connor, really thank you so very much for everything that you've had to go through, all the challenges that set you on this course to finding a better way and to help other people along the way. We can tell you're super passionate about it. It was really fun to have this conversation. So thank you so very much for everything you do. And thank you for taking time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. My pleasure, Casey. Thanks for having me. That was great. Absolutely. Such an honor. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, We have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body. It's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.